Hello, and welcome to a surprise episode of the XXLA Architects podcast. I'm your host, Audrey Sato, and I've come out of podcaster early retirement to release two very special episodes in celebration of the 100th anniversary of the Association for Women in Architecture and Design. In today's episode, I'm joined by Barbara Elwood, who served three terms as Madame President of AWA Plus D over her lifetime. Barbara enrolled in USC Architecture's Industrial Design Program in 1952, and by the end of her first semester, she was the only woman in her class. It's so fascinating to hear about Barbara's experiences and also hear about the evolution of AWA through her recollections. Let's dive into my interview with Barbara Elwood. When I was born in 1934, we were living here in Los Angeles and there was lots and lots of family around. And my father was a journalist and uh, he just kind of assumed that I was going to be a journalist too, just like him. So he and my mother taught me grammar and made sure I knew how to spell and all of that stuff when I was a kid. And uh, But then when I got was into high school, you know, the counselor in your senior year starts talking about going to college. And this fellow told me that I should attend an architecture school because of the tests that I had gone through that senior year. So I sent out applications to Stanford and UCLA and USC, and I got accepted in all three places, except USC sent me a half tuition scholarship. So that was (laughs) impressed my father. So he let me come down to USC and I was living with his older sister, Alice, who had her own children at home, also in college. She was living very close to USC, so I took the bus back and forth from her house in Lamert Park to USC. And in um, September of 1952, I enrolled at SC, but I declared the major of industrial design because I had the choice and and, uh, there was really nice faculty involved in uh, smaller classes. And so I made that choice then. In the freshman year, the first class they had was engineering descriptive geometry. And it was really complicated and uh, But it turns out they were using this course as a kind of a, to weed out the men from the boys as they talked about it. And at the end of that first year there, 10 of the men in the class had dropped out and the other four women who were in the class had dropped out. So starting in 1953, uh, there was a class of, I think we ended up with 75 people And they were all men, and I was the only woman. So it went went on that way for the next three years until I finished my major. What was, uh, I mean, what was that like to be the only woman in the whole class? 
Well, I found out, I mean, first of all, um, I had passed that engineering descriptive geometry class. And so the first thing that happened was the next year when we all got into our regular curriculum, uh, the instructor asked me to be a TA, right, just in sophomore year. So they gave me a TA ship and um, in 54, when it was the sophomore year, and I had that TA ship for the next four years until I finished, which was nice to have a little extra funding. And and I, since I was living with my aunt, there wasn't a lot of residential charges, uh, and the book uh, expenses weren't um, required at all because. At that time, we were all drafting and in the design studio. And, uh, you know, everybody had their own projects based on their own major. So in a lot of ways, I lucked out to be the only woman and having a TA ship on top of it. So <laughs> it gave me certain advantages and and uh, it was uh, I learned a lot, really a lot, because the faculty at that time were very interested in encouraging more women to come into the program. And uh, by the time um, I graduated in 57, uh, there were uh, maybe four other women who had enrolled. And the only ones who finished were a pair of twins who were called Carolyn and Marilyn McCarran. Uh-huh. And they had gone, th- they went through all uh, five years of the architecture program and graduated also. So uh, towards the end of that time, uh, AWA showed up. Now, there was a small group of AWA ladies in LA. And when they discovered that there were women in the SC program, they came knocking on the door. (laughs) So they wanted to set up a student chapter. Right. So uh, the twin girls and I were the first members of the USC student chapter. Wow. Of AWA. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, that was in 56 um, 57. It seems like it was really uncommon for women to be studying architecture at the time. Absolutely. And, um, you know, you mentioned USC was trying to promote women in, in the profession or in, at least at their school. And, um, all of this sounds very unusual, like for you to have even the support of your family to do this. Well, my father was very disappointed that I didn't follow in his footsteps, but he eventually uh, warmed up to the fact that I was going to have my own career. So um, even then, I think if he wanted you to be a journalist, that also was an unusual career for women at the time, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, my my cousins um, told me over the years that uh, my my folks had raised me in a different way. They called it, and I, I over the years the only thing I could think of was they gave me my own Reader's Digest subscription, 
And whenever I would go to family events, they dragged me along with them. But if it was an adults only party, like they all got together to play poker, I got to sit sit by myself in the living room and read my reader's digest. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that was kind of how he uh, fulfilled his desire for me to be something in the journalistic field. Looking back, were you glad that you pursued architecture instead of journalism? Oh, yeah. What happened was I uh, enrolled at SC in the industrial design program. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I first accepted that scholarship and just went there, I didn't know that there were two programs. And uh, the industrial design uh, really turned out to be a fabulous major. Uh, I mean, architecture was great, and I was doing these TA jobs and all of that. But industrial design was basically a program that taught you how to uh, take a problem, whatever it was, break it down, uh, divide it up so that you knew what parts of it were the design part and what parts of it were the engineering part and the uh, uh, how to search out consultants, how to work with owners of a business that might need some design uh, solution. And it was really uh, learning a process of thinking and solving problems. And just the process itself was uh, really useful to me for the whole rest of my life. I mean, one of the classes that I had was um, we used the Yellow Pages phone dictionary for a text. And the fellow who taught the class, he would say, okay, here's your design assignment. And we would basically have to solve the problems strictly looking up sources in the phone book. We didn't have computers. We didn't have cell phones. I mean, the most sophisticated communication thing I had was a typewriter. <laughs> so when you were trying to solve a design problem of some sort, you really had to search and contact people. And in L.A., we had a wealth of manufacturers, and we took a lot of trips to these places to see how their manufacturing processes work and be able to ask questions. And uh, that also informed uh, me in terms of that industrial design program. Anyhow, uh, in my senior year, I, uh, my boyfriend that I had and I married, he's, he was Ernest Elwood. Elwood is my uh, married name, actually. He was in architecture, and uh, he had some jobs with some very large firms in town. And so I got to learn about those parts of his job. Uh, he ended up in charge of uh, the uh, drafting room in a large firm. Uh, Robert Alexander, I think, was the fellow who was his boss. and. Uh, he learned a lot running the drafting room, and there were all kinds of projects going on in that uh, field. And so I kind of benefited just by listening to him talk about all his work. So I had uh, 
a lot of really uh, nice opportunities to develop my outlook and my own approach. But we graduated together in the spring of 57. And uh, at that time, I made the conversion from being a member of AWA student chapter into being a member of the regular professional chapter. Because um, Ernest and I settled in the uh, Silver Lake area, and it turned out that uh, one of the main members of the professional chapter, um, Irene Pierce was her name, she lived in Silver Lake, and she had a lot of the AWA board meetings at her house, and the programming um, frequently was held down at the Tay, T-A-I-X, mm-hmm. restaurant on Sunset Boulevard. I think it's still there. I think so. Yeah, it's... Uh, they were, I, I think recently they were talking about maybe landmarking it or something. Oh, yes, I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyhow, yeah. so Irene would call a lot of these meetings at the Tay restaurant. And since I was living there, uh, she encouraged me to uh, volunteer (laughs) in the 50s AWA was getting a lot of publicity in the LA Times when they had this uh, Sunday newspaper with a Times Home magazine and there were all kinds of the women from AWA uh, getting written up and so here were all these uh, things in the newspaper And um, I was charged with the responsibility of cutting all these newspaper clippings and keeping them. And so that's how I invented or came about the scrapbook, the famous scrapbook. (laughs) But there were a lot of our local AWA members who had their own offices Mm -hmm. and they were doing really nice design work. So all that stuff is in the scrapbook now. I I saw it at um, one of the holiday parties. It the scrapbook was out, and it's just so fascinating and such a testament to how far we've come. Also, yeah, absolutely. Um, I took a picture of a couple of the articles at the time because it was so mind-boggling for me. So one of them was in 1959. Building News had a little article with the title "308 Gals." now practice architecture. And, (laughs) (laughs) and, but what was interesting too, was that it said 26% of those women were members of AWA. Yes. So you could see nationally that, you know, that the AWA was so important to these women. Oh, well, you know, we had a very large national organization and uh, in the fifties, we used to have national meetings and they'd uh, rotate around. And, you know, we shared dues and uh, newsletters. And after a while, it got to be too much money to spend on somebody else. We decided this one national meeting in the 1950s that it would be better if each chapter around the United States would spend its own money on its own members so that they could, uh, you know, not have to support a national organization. 
So we had this one meeting in uh, Aspen, Colorado, and uh, we just faced up to the dilemma. Uh, So they just took a vote and dissolved the national organization. Over the years, uh, the various organizations just fell apart. And I think here in Los Angeles, we had the advantage of the universities. So in the long range, the Los Angeles chapter just remained, got larger, developed, and uh, uh, we just lasted longer than any of the other national chapters. Nowadays, I know what AWA plus D meetings and um, events are like, but what were they like back in the 60s when you had first joined and then when you were president? Well, we, of course, had a lot of choices to have meetings. And as I said, we, because so many of us officers were centered in the Silver Lake area, we had a lot of meetings at that Tay restaurant where they had this little back room and it was inexpensive. Everybody come and order a meal and we invite a speaker. There'd be somebody coming from an an architecture firm to discuss their projects and what impact they were having in the city. And we'd be able to have women members of these various firms, uh, whether they were a member of AWA or not. If there was another buddy, a woman who was a a partner in a local firm, she'd come and she'd talk to us about how it was being a partner in her firm. And it encouraged our, our members to push for larger options in, in the field for themselves in the long run. Uh, we had tours. Uh, one of the biggest tours I remember was, uh, you know, in our downtown LA, we have what's called the interchange, that four level freeway interchange everybody goes through. Mm-hmm. Well, that thing was just being built. And one of the women members was an engineer uh, who had access to that construction site. And we actually went down there one day and were walking around in the dirt <laughs> at the very bottom level of that four level interchange. And for years, every time I drove through that interchange, (laughs) I'd remember that tour. So we we had a lot of opportunities. Uh, We have two members who are responsible for the uh, tower at uh, LAX. Mm. Uh, Kate Diamond has had a lot of responsibility for the design of that tower. Uh, She arranged a tour for us. And, um, you know, we just had a lot of options from the membership to learn what was going on. One thing I wanted to mention was the scholarship committee has always been a very important part of AWA. We used to have potluck dinners on that first Saturday in December. Each person would have to bring a handmade Christmas ornament. For auction. And that's how we raised the money for scholarships. Pretty soon we needed to expand the scholarship. Just selling our Christmas decorations <laughs> wasn't the way to uh, raise as much money as we wanted to have. So um, 
we expanded and uh, uh, that allowed us to uh, get the 501c3. So we were able to, to expand our resource for scholarship funds through the foundation. Right. In this business of fundraising for scholarships, we had an interesting event a number of years back. It was called the Gingerbread House event. And we had a couple of really creative young members who rented the dining room in the Biltmore Hotel in downtown L.A. and sent out these notices to the large, well-known architects in town, not just women, to design a gingerbread house. The gingerbread houses were auctioned off and it earned us a lot of money. It was so much fun and we got a lot of publicity for it. You know, AWA has done those kind of really creative things over the years. It's made it a very interesting organization to belong to. Yeah, that sounds <laughs> great. I I would love to see a um, gingerbread house uh, collection by prominent architects. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things that you mentioned in your notes too that we didn't talk about is the, the name change. The Association for Women in Architecture oh, instead yes. of of women. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't really remember who whose idea that was, but uh, it made a lot of sense because they, we had a lot of married women and many of the women's husbands joined. And as I said, there were other firms in town where the boss, the other associates would join the organization because they had the women in the office contributing. So um, uh, it made sense for us to change that uh, little word there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, it's really great. I think it's important to recognize that you can't change it just by ourselves, (laughs) you know, because there weren't a ton of women in the profession. This was a very close knit community. Yep. So yeah, it makes sense that everybody's families were involved and their personal supporters were also their professional supporters. (laughs) Yeah, really. I mean, it was, and the whole architecture field in Southern California was smaller at that time. Right. And I wanted to ask you, you know, we talked a lot about your role and your experience with AWA through the years. What was happening at the same time with your own career and your own life? When it was the kids were older, um, I had an opportunity to go back to USC where I got my degree and work with um John Gordon, who was the dean of the School of Fine Arts. And uh, <laughs> I have, you know, in my life, there have been times when just being in the right place at the right time, I call those things happenstances. There have been a lot of happenstances in my life. And one was uh, I'd had a job at the uh, um, Armory Center in Exposition Park. And uh, the job just wasn't there anymore. And I sat down and I opened up the LA Times and it said, USC needs secretaries. And I thought, 
I can do that. (laughs) (laughs) And USC was right across the street from the armory where I'd been working. So I walked over there and took the typing test and the spelling test in the personnel office. And that very week, the uh, dean in the current School of Fine Arts, which is in the same building where the School of Architecture was, the dean of fine arts went back east, took his family and left town, and they um, had a new dean. And the dean needed an executive secretary. So that very day that I went into the personnel office and took that test, that job was open. And I thought, you know, (laughs) this is too good to be true. But I went over and they hired me. So in the end, I ended up with this fantastic job in the School of Fine Arts as the dean's executive secretary in the same school where I had done all my architecture and industrial design studying. Uh And there were even some same faculty and people who were there that I had known when I was a student, which was unbelievable. But uh, that was really a a great job. And it turned out because I was an employee at USC, employees have an opportunity for what's called um, tuition remission for their children. So your kids had parents who went to USC's you know, industrial design and architecture programs, Mm -hmm. did they follow kind of in your footsteps too there? Well, they all have some sort of an art or design characteristic uh, in their lives that developed. Uh, My younger son still works at USC. He had a major in um, voice at the music school. They hired him basically to run the opera program. Oh, wow. Then my older son, uh, he's basically a map maker, cartographer. Wow. He's happy. (laughs) My older daughter, she's a media person at this point. She uh, does consulting. Uh, She also advised me a little about this video today. (laughs) (laughs) And um, my younger daughter, she was an art history major. And she did an internship in the city of L.A. At the time, they were setting up the 1% for art program. When she graduated, they hired her. And so she worked for the city for a while. And then she went into business herself to be the design consultant for public art. Her most recent public art commission is the new uh, SoFi Stadium. So all four of them uh, had great opportunities at USC and have gone on to make their own careers and some type of art. So they're doing fine. Now I got to think about the next generation. (laughs) (laughs) I have two grandchildren now and three great grandchildren. That's that consumes my time now. Wow. What a legacy that you have. (laughs) Well, you know, happenstance that a lot of that stuff was just being in the right place at the right time. I mean, you know, when I retired, I had an opportunity to have a job in New York. 
because this old boss that I had, he became the provost at Pratt Institute. He called me up and said, Barb, do you want to come to New York? And uh, I was at the point where I was just working at SE in the art history department. And I didn't have any reason not to go. The kids were all out on their own. Uh, So I went to New York in 1999. But then 9-11 happened. Oh, Right. 2001. Yeah, that was a a major, major event. And uh, we were in Brooklyn, like three miles away from the the site. New York was just devastated after that happened. So um, I saw through the academic year in that provost position until July of 2002 when I came home. But that had interrupted my AWA membership. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so it took me a while to get back into AWA again. But still, it had been, I mean, how many years were you a member? Oh, gosh. Well, from 1957, right. when I joined the professional group, that's a long time. <laughs> that is a long time. I mean, before you moved, that was already like 40 years. Yeah, yeah. Time wow. flies, you know, <laughs> when you're having fun. <laughs> no, AWA has always been really interesting. And the people that have come through the membership in the years have just been fascinating. And still, many of them are longtime friends. Well, speaking of it, I don't think we talked about it yet, but you also proposed um, the Professional Research Award in the yes. 1990s. Can we you talk about that. After we got the 501c and formed the foundation for the fundraising, and we started expanding the opportunities for scholarship, I thought, well, now's the time to offer a scholarship for an older person, uh, a more mature professional who wants to go further in her profession, write a book, put on a television program, or do blogs, um, or even interviews and things the way you do. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually, I think you received one of those scholarships, didn't you? <laughs> I mean, this podcast is kind of a result of that award because that was my project that I I applied with. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Well, Lise Bornstein, she was very involved in this. She had contacts and uh, there was a group of people that wanted to invest. So Lise was really very helpful in bringing that new approach to developing fundraising. Yeah. Have you personally actually known a lot of the scholarship or fellowship winners and seen their development? Pretty much all of them over the years. So with you know all of this time that you spent in AWA and in the profession, I wonder, what are the biggest changes that you've seen? Well, the opportunities for women are much better now. I mean, there's so many of the uh, firms around town that really take to heart this 50-50 percentage. Mm -hmm. And I think being a member of AWA serves as a reference to uh, a lot of the women who are searching for new jobs. And of course, we have each other to recommend one another for specific uh, opportunities. And 
So the world has opened up for women and it's benefited AWA as well. Right. Yeah, I could see like in some ways the organization, you know, how it impacts our members day to day is probably very similar in some ways to what it used to be where we do, uh, because we know each other from working together in AWA, we also recommend and work together in our professional careers. Uh, Yes. I notice uh, when the newsletter goes out, there's always announcements of these breakfast meetings for women who have uh, similar situations in their work so that they can talk that out. Actually, over the years, one of the big things AWA has been able to offer women is to discuss what happens when you have children and you are trying to be a working professional. (laughs) And we've had many, many programs over the years. I think it's still a problem, but at least it's recognized now. And uh, there are opportunities that never existed before. If you had children, you had to quit your job, you know, back in the old days. But it's not that way anymore. For sure. I mean, I can attest to wondering how that all works and (laughs) talking with other women about that uh, because, you know, I have a (laughs) 10-month-old. Well, I remember there were uh, back in the days around maybe in the 60s, there were two women who were married and had children, and they ended up getting together and forming a firm themselves where they had a business location that had a child care room in the business location. And it really was a a very successful experiment on their part. But I think uh, over the years, other uh, women have been able to solve problems in a similar way. Yeah, that sounds ideal. (laughs) (laughs) When you became a mom, did you have to quit your career? Well, I, I've worked for a long time in Pasadena for an industrial design firm. And I told this fellow that I was working for, I had to quit. It turned out that he was ready to make changes in his office. And he was trying to figure out how he was going to do that and still keep me there as an employee. So it was by mutual agreement that I I left his firm and he was able to make his changes. And uh, I really didn't do any outside professional work. I did some design projects here and there. One in particular was uh, at that time, the 710 freeway. Mm-hmm. was uh, having its problems. It stopped dead in the middle of South Pasadena and where it still is. But at the time, our member, Jean Driscoll, who'd been AWA president, and she was president of the Pasadena chapter of AIA. And she took an active public interest in that freeway extension And she was doing a lot of interviews and visits to organizations and businesses. And I designed a brochure for her that she could distribute when she went out to these places to um, make the case for the 710 freeway. So I would do stuff like that at home. You know, as I said, we didn't have computers or um, 
the fancy media stuff that we have now, but I had a typewriter at home and I knew how to paste up masters and print things. So, you know, I could still use my skills and accomplish the same thing in a kind of old fashioned manner. (laughs) Well, yeah, it sounds like you did a lot of actual like graphic design for a lot of the AWA printed material. Yes, I did a lot of the AWA notices. One of the things I could do for AWA was keep track of the membership list and do the meeting notices and send them out in the mail. Because, you know, back in those days, we didn't have the same communication opportunities that we have now. So I did that. I managed the scrapbook, and we used to publish a membership brochure every year, which was nice. And all those are back in uh, Virginia Tech now in the AWA files. IAWA is their organization. It's the only place in the country where they have a national archive. And that's why all our stuff is back there. But uh, they've got all kinds of things from other organizations and other people. Yeah. And I think that a lot of students I hear complain about this, that there aren't enough women or there isn't enough diversity in the canon or in the Mm -hmm. scholarly materials. This is one way to help fix that problem. Um, Yeah, they do. They have a lot of grad students who come through and and, uh, use their archives. We had a woman who was doing a graduate degree who called me up on the phone one summer and said, I want to come out and meet with you, (laughs) ladies, (laughs) because I've got to write my graduate thesis. And she came out and visited and learned a lot of stuff and asked a lot of questions and produced her graduate thesis based on uh, women in architecture files from IAWA. So, well, um, thank you so much. You know, one of the themes of the or the theme of the 100th celebration is past, present, future. I mean, I'm paraphrasing. And having such a wide breadth of uh, vision on what architecture and the allied industries um, were and where we've come from and where we are now, what are your hopes for the future? Well, I'd like to see a lot more of our members be awarded AIA fellowship, uh, fellows standing. That's really a feather in the cap. And I'd like to see many more of our women achieve that. Hmm. That's a good thought. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you so much for inviting me to do this. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for everything you've done. I, my career would not be the same without all the things that you've done to, to help. Well, that's great. I'm still here. I like that day. (laughs) I'm just uh, moving a little slower. And that's our show. I'm your host, Audrey Sato, and today's guest was Barbara Elwood. By the way, AWA Plus D's big gala celebrating the 100th is coming up on December 3rd. You can find out more by visiting awaplusd.org. That's awaplusd.org. I hope to see you there. You can find me online at xx-la.com or on social media at XXLA Podcast. Thanks for listening.